Holly G with the Golf Insiders. For this segment of For Your Game, one of our favorites we haven't talked to in a while, Gary Van Sickle from the Morning Read, past president of the Golf Writers Association of America and senior writer forever for Sports Illustrated Golf, if you all remember. Uh, Gary V, great to have you back on the show. Uh, first, I want to kick off with the new head of the USGA, Mike Wan. This is a big move, I think a popular move, uh, hiring the former commissioner from the LPGA Tour, who is, uh, you know, for those of us in the business, we know he's a very charismatic guy. He did an amazing job over the last 10 years, uh, you know, taking the LPGA from the brink. Um, want to know your thoughts on this uh, new hire. Well, it's pretty easy to forget what bad shape the LPGA was in 10 years ago. I mean, they, uh, the tournaments, I, I, I don't remember how many tournaments they were down to, but they were down to not many tournaments, and I think fewer than half of the tournaments they had were not in the U.S. So for the American players, it was really not a good experience. You know, if you're finishing 75th the money list, you probably can't afford to go fly to Korea and China to play and play in the events ahead. And, and I, you know, he did it. Uh, he worked his magic. And he, he made the LPGA into a pretty successful property right now. And he's done that despite not really having that American superstar that would really catapult it even more. Yeah, it would really help it in America. They've got you know, Asian superstars and Korean superstars. I mean, LPJ is huge in, in Japan and Korea, but they've done this without having, you know, let's say Michelle Wee had kept playing and won four more U.S. Opens and was like Annika and she won everything in sight. That would be, that would be the dream come true, the real face of the LPGA. And, and they didn't have that, and he, he, he turned it around anyway. So... I don't think you can underestimate what a great job he did with the LPGA. And this, uh, I, I think we all, you know, there were stories when, when he announced his surprise resignation that, oh, he must be going to the USGA because Mike Davis had already said he was interested in stepping down. Uh, so it was a good fit. You know, I'm of, of the two, I mean, the bigger story is why would Mike Davis step down? And he's still relatively young. I mean, he loves golf. Uh, the untold, untold story there, and I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but look, the, LP, the, the USGA was losing a lot of money. They they had they let go of a lot of employees. I mean, they they basically uh, the budget was broke, despite the one billion dollar deal they had from Fox, which they only got five years of. But they were getting ninety three million a year from Fox, and yet somehow somehow their budget went. You know, into the ditch. Now, how can that happen? How can that happen? Well, it can't happen, and somebody has to get blamed for it. And you know, Mike Davis was in charge, so whether it was his fault or not, I think that was certainly that certainly might have caused uh, you know caused the door to open, the exit door to open for somebody to say, "Yeah, we got this isn't working. We we had ninety three million a year, and we blew it." So uh, there's two there's two stories there. Mike Wan did a great job, and uh, the the USGA just couldn't couldn't handle the money end, and they need somebody who can do both. And I think Wan is the guy for the job. And 
you know, I, I can't, I don't, I haven't read one word anywhere of anybody saying, well, this isn't a great move. This is probably the, the best hire the USGA has ever made. At an important time, because I, there have been, you know, lots of conversations over the last few years. Gary, you know, amongst us insiders uh, that, uh, you know, was the USGA becoming, you know, irrelevant? I mean, uh, for those of us in competition golf, the USGA governs amateur golf in the United States and Mexico. However, if you get down to, you know, average Joe going out there to play golf who doesn't have a handicap and, you know, doesn't play in competitions, um, you know, what does the USGA do? You know, they sort of, I think, also lost their, uh, you know, public face to most amateur golfers or had not found a way to bridge that and had, I think, gotten more deep in the weeds Really, you think of it on the tournament side, of course, you know, they provide the rules. But if you look at some of the things, you know, they've been doing, including the, you know, this whole thing about the distance, uh, you know, controversy with the ball, you know, who's that benefiting? You know, is that benefiting the average player? Yeah, it's, you know, they've had a a lot of stumbles. I mean, if you just look at the, let's just stick to U.S. Open setups. You know, the classic was Shinnecock a few years ago when they promised they weren't going to mess up the greens again like last time. And what happened? They messed up the greens just like last time. Uh, they had to change the rules basically after Oakmont where Dustin Johnson's ball moved and they spent six holes trying to decide if he should get penalized or not or how to – actually, I'm told they spent six, six holes of Dustin Johnson's play trying to figure out how to make themselves not look so bad they were going to penalize them the whole time. Uh, these stumbles just made them seem uh, less than confident. And you've got greens set up, that sloping green set up at 14 on the stimp, and the balls don't stay in place on a, you know, it's not level. And the ball moved. Why is a player being penalized when he didn't touch the ball? So that led to a rules change. Uh, just one thing after another, and then the whole the whole uh, budget escapade with Fox. You know, the, the broadcast deal with Fox. Nobody what Fox a fiasco. Did a terrible job. Yeah, they had to bail out of that because it was so bad. So that was a bad decision, and they got that money, and then they they wasted the money on who knows what. So you just look at all this. Now they, I thought they came back uh, before last year with some with some fabulous rules changes. You know, you can tamp down spike marks, which I recently realized, you know, I'm so used to never doing that. I went all of 2020. I never tapped down a, a spike mark on a green because I don't do that because I forgot the rule change. So I'm kicking myself right now. Uh, but that was a great rule. T- pulling the pin. Who doesn't think, except for a tiny minority of absolute purists, who doesn't think that's a good idea? It's great for watching golf on TV. When they leave the pin in, you can see where the cup is better. And those of us who play golf, it, it speeds it up unless you have a guy, one guy in your group who has to have it out. You know, that was a simple little thing that helped. Uh, a lot of rules changes. I think the only one they botched was the cutting the lost ball search to, from five minutes to three minutes. And look, how many incidents have we already seen on the PGA Tour where Guy, you know, we went 20 years and hardly anybody lost a golf ball, and now it's happening in every almost every major championship, and it may determine the outcome in some cases. So that was a rule change. I think that was the one I think they got wrong. But 
They've, and the uh, one, the one I think they overlooked, which is probably one of the most misplayed rules, the stroke and distance penalty. Let's get rid of that one. Yeah, they they had they came up with some, you know, for recreational golf. Yeah, they came up with something you can do, but it's not something they would allow in tournament golf. You know, that's the thing they have they have these local rules they call it. It's really a way to have bifurcation, but they don't want to admit that. But with like rangefinders, yeah, rangefinders are legal in your competition under local rule. Well, but we're not going to allow them in the U.S. Open. Well, either it's legal or it's not. Now you're you're picking and choosing where it's legal. That's bifurcation, you know, which is two sets of rules. We're heading right now. They've got the big distance report out, and they have they are now taking comments from people about what to do about distance. They're not having they're not taking comments about whether we should do anything. They're taking comments about what we should do. So they're they're going to do something, and. There's no question about it, and you know Mike Wan's going to be in the middle, in the middle of this firestorm. But you know the equipment. There's really a lot of us outsiders or just recreational players. We watch golf, and like these guys are hitting the ball so far. Every these courses they play are obsolete. It's absurd. And you know I thought the turning point for me and maybe for the USGA was at Wingfoot on Sunday when Bryson DeChambeau hits a drive on the par five. Ninth hole, middle of the fairway, he hit it 374. And, of course, he had spent months getting his body in shape, drinking shakes, putting on 40 pounds, working out to get to this, reshaping his swing. And he's playing with Matthew Wolf, who has done none of those things. He's just a natural. And Wolf hit it 388, hit it 14 yards past Bryson. So these are happy Gilmore distances that two guys in the U.S. Open, 388 and 374. At that point, you know, if guys are hitting a 388, now a par 5 has to be 700 yards. So I think, you know, DeChambeau really helped bring a focus to this, which he's probably going to regret. But it seems obvious to me and a lot of people that you need a different – the pros play a different game. They need a different sets of equipment rules. And you need to rein them in and bring it back. And then when you, once you do that, you can let the equipment companies go back to innovating – for amateurs, because we're not hitting it too far. You know, nobody's lengthening their country club because the members are hitting it too far. I mean, that's not the problem. We're all, you know, our handicaps still haven't changed much in 30 years despite this better equipment. So I think uh, we're going to see some rules for the pros, and they have to do bifurcation, in my opinion. You can't have this big surge from the pandemic that kind of saved golf and then turn around and tell people, oh, we're going to, we're going to roll back the ball for you amateurs who aren't hitting it anywhere in the first place. So I, I don't think they could, they could do that. And, you know, Mike Wan's way too smart to let that happen. But I, I think we're going to see some big changes for professional golf. And uh, the equipment companies are just going to – this is going to be a, a real problem for them. They're not going to be for it, but that's the way it goes. Uh, another, you know, uh, part of the USGA, you Seeing the commercials, it's all about growing the game. However, if I think about the biggest, most successful programs, uh, let's t- start with drive, chip, and putt. That didn't start out of the USGA. I mean, that was a you know a, an initiative by Augusta National, 
and uh, the powers to be there, I think it's probably become one of the you know greatest feeder systems uh, for for kids getting into the game and giving them that big you know dream. Uh, you got the first T program that you know largely PGA Tour. You got the PGA. The, the first the first T isn't even about golf. It's about babysitting and learning. The first tee is now the YMCA. It's not golf isn't even part of their curriculum. You know, isn't even the top five part of their curriculum anymore. So, uh, you should, when we're talking about golf and you know, juniors, you shouldn't even talk first tee because it's more about life skills than golf now. It's it's totally changed. Well, you know, if there's there's somebody that uh, will come in and you know he's also a, a marketing genius and a PR genius uh, with you know more passion to fill. Uh, Still plenty of beer cups. Um, you know, I think it's uh, – I think Mike Wan's the right guy for the right time, and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, where he takes the U.S. Yeah, well, you know, the, the LPG and the PG of America have pretty successful junior programs, and uh, the TGA is a privately run uh, – I forget his first name. His name's Jacobs. What's his first name? Not John, but – uh, that, that's a real great program for juniors run through schools. So there's some good junior programs out there, but, you know, is there follow-through? Do these kids ever, you know, keep playing through college or high school? I mean, I don't know. It's uh, – I'm just hoping this pandemic brought people back into the game, especially juniors. But I, I, I'm hoping it brought, you know, their parents back because their parents probably are the generation we missed. So we need, we need to get them back in the game to uh, – to spread it, but, you know, they don't need to play at the my course and get in front of me. They need to play at all the other courses. <laughs> it's all about, this is all about my convenience. I don't, I don't want to have to wait, you know. Hey, one thing I do know is you got a pretty good game. Uh, you've played in a lot of uh, competitive, uh, serious competitive events. I'm not sure what you're uh, claiming to be your handicap these days or if it's a plus or minus, but I know one thing you know a lot about is side saddle putting. Gary, and I read a story on uh, Morning Read this week about a new side saddle putter that's out, and I'm curious, you know, it's supposed to be one of, you know, the, the, the best method, you know, draw it back, take it through, um, you know, conjures up uh, Sam Snead out there in uh, the, the ghosts of tournaments past, but uh, tell my listeners a little bit about side saddle and your thoughts. Well, you know, here's the thing about Sam Snead. He went to side sail because he was putting so bad, and he, he first tr- he first started straddling the ball, and they didn't like the way that looked. And Joe Dye and the guys at golf at USGA uh, ruled that uh, disallowed putting side saddles straddling the ball. So Sam had to reinvent that, and he's so limber. He, he went and gripped that club down, you know, just a couple inches above the hosel because he could bend that far. Most people can't. If you think about it, and, you know, that's a long time ago, but Snead never really complained much about his putting after he did side saddle for a while. You know, he used to always complain about it. Once he went side saddle, he didn't putt bad. And uh, you may remember the 71 PGA at Inverness, where I think he finished fifth or sixth at age, like, 66. It was a phenomenal week. You know, you can't do that unless you putt well. Uh, there's a secret to side saddle that I just I learned from. Uh, but I, I did I did a couple stories and I talked to Dave Pels and I talked to Peter Costas. I talked to David Cook. He's the guy who wrote the book 
Seven Days in Utopia. Uh, his character in that, in that novel uh, was a side saddle guy, and David's a side saddle guy. He's on a Waco Country Club, and he 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 said, you know, he'd be doing side saddle on the practice green, and some somebody'd be playing golf, making a turn, and they'd see what he was doing. They'd stop and say, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Oh, side saddle." And he goes, "Yeah, can I try that?" He says, "Guys would come up and." try it, and after a couple minutes, they make a couple 15-footers, and they go, yeah, this is pretty easy. And they go, yeah, it is. And then and they go, yeah, well, thanks. And they went on. There, there's still a stigma to putting side saddle that nobody wants to be seen doing it, much like when long putters first came out. If you were using a long putter, that instead immediately meant you couldn't putt. You couldn't make a short one. You were desperate. And... Nobody has come out in professional golf to play with side saddle and really change that image. But as David Cook said, it's people just don't want to be seen doing it. It's it's an embarrassing thing. But I'm telling you, inside a six five six feet, it's easy to get good, and I think it's a better way to putt. There's a secret to side saddle that I learned from Dave Pels, and he learned it from this old guy who came in. Pels said he was at his uh, putting academy in Florida. This guy came in and said, hey, you got a minute? I got something I want to show you. And Pell said, yeah, I rolled my eyes, but yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't doing anything. So sure, what do you got? This, this guy did putted side saddle. He went through all Pell's normal putting drills. He scored like the highest anybody had ever scored in the putting thing. Wow. And uh, his secret was putting. He, his right hand, which is the lower one on the club, he, you turn your right hand over so it's facing the hole. So the back of your hand is facing the hole, and you kind of just try to swing your middle finger. If you point it, you kind of swing it with your middle finger pointing down the, the line that you want to putt on. And this guy hit was, you know, you're, so you're pulling the club instead of pushing it. And if you've got any kind of putting flinches or yips or whatever, this, this changes the motion. It totally takes care of it. And I'm telling you, you get behind the ball, you line the putter up, and then you get in your stance, and there's a lot of ways you can stand. But if you use the if you pull the club with the back of your hand, use that middle finger, it really works from five or six feet. Now, the problem is it, it's easy because unless you've practiced side saddle for hours and hours, you need to, you need to look down at the ball and the putter when you're doing this. The problem is you have a 30 or 40-footer, if you look up at the cup, you can't look. You can't see the hole and the ball and the putter at the same time. So, uh, one of the guys who helped me, uh, I want to say Dan McDonald, Tim McDonald, uh, he was really he got really good. He he just looked at the hole from thirty or forty feet. He he putted great with the side saddle. I never spent enough time. I I couldn't imagine myself getting to that point where I could not look down at the ball while I putted side saddle. But it's a way to go, and the only problem is nobody wants to hear about it because they watch on TV, they don't see anybody being successful doing it. And I think, you know, DeChambeau, when he first came out, was putting side saddle for a while until he got a That's special right. putter made. Yeah, the USGA disallowed it because they said you could turn it around and chip with it because it had kind of a sloping saucer-like back, and nobody would do that. But that was their reason for disallowing his putter. He got really mad about that. He said, I'm fed up with you paper pushers, and that was the end of that. So he went back to conventional. But he was, you know, I, I, did, did he not? I think he won a tournament putting side saddle before he changed. I could be wrong. Maybe not. Maybe he just had some high finishes. But uh, 
if somebody's somebody's going to come out, if somebody's come out on on one of the tours and put side saddle, you know, I've 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 putted side saddle a few, a few times. Uh, you get shaky in a tournament or whatever, and all of a sudden it's like I just don't feel like I can make this three footer. I'll go ahead and switch my grip around and put a side saddle. And guys I'm playing with, you know, may not even know. It's under, it's underrated, I'll tell you. You may totally freak them out, and, and that would be uh, some competitive edge right there. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was a senior event. Two years ago I did that on one hole. I got back in the cart, and the guy I was playing with he said, did you just go Sam Snead on that last putt? I said, yeah. He goes, how come? It's like, you got to do what you got to do. But there, there's uh, there's potential. But yeah, there's there aren't many people you can talk to who know anything about side saddle. Else, Peter Costas, Gary McCord, uh, David Cook, um, and Pels. I mean, nobody else has done this. You know, everybody. It's just it's just not dying it's just art. Nobody, yeah, it's it's well, it's a dying art because it never was born. It was like <laughs> a. It's not a lost art. It's an art that was never created. So, you know, it's kind of. Do it yourself, but the secret is you got to flip your right hand over and pull the club instead of pushing it. And that, to me, is you know, if I stand behind the ball when I try putting side saddle with my right hand underneath the club, you know, my arm isn't totally straightened out. I still have it. I can still kind of roll my hand to the left and shut the face. But when I put my right hand on top of the club and pull it, I don't have that problem. And you know, honestly, just talking about it makes me want to switch to side saddle permanently as soon as, as, soon as the golf season starts. And you got to be excited thinking about it. it. It's a good way to putt. I like it. I, I think you've had too long a winter, Gary, if this is what's getting you excited. Uh, but speaking of creativity and putting, how about the guy at uh, Waste Management? I think it was uh, Mark Hubbard. Who used this snail putting stroke? Did you see that? I did. I I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I don't, it was like kind of watching a car accident. I, I my first impulse was to look away because what what was that? What was that? And and gosh, protect your back, dude. What are you doing? Yeah, look. At, that goes back to what I said. You got to do what you got to do. You got to find a way to make the short putts. If you can't make 100% of your putts inside of three feet, then you don't need to be out on the PGA Tour because you're done. And that's what he figured out works for him. Again, if I was, you know, I want to say independently wealthy, if I was rich enough to go hang around some putting greens, I would love to show that guy side saddle putting because I think in five minutes it could be life-changing for a guy like that or someone like Jason Duffner or somebody who can't make the short ones. Uh, even if it means putting two putters in your bag, it's a small price to pay for cleaning up everything inside of three, four, five feet. Because, you know, if, if, you, make, if you make all your putts inside of five feet, you're going to do okay, whether you're playing amateur golf or professional golf. But if you're giving up, if you're, if you're letting a couple three-footers slip away every round, you just can't compete. These guys are too good. You can't get those shots back. So you've got you to make them all. And if you've got to go with a snail, you know, Mark Hubbard, good, good luck. You've got you to gotta do what, what works for you if you can find something that works. You've got to get those in because the rest of those guys are good. You watch Jordan Spieth and 
he's making the 25 foot snakes all day long. I was like, how are you going to beat that? Well, you better make everything. You better make all the close ones. It's a crazy game, Gary Van Sickle, and that's why we love it so much and appreciate your time and all your uh, great insights to uh, help our listeners out there uh, get the most out of their game.